passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're somebody who's new with, with us this morning, uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. It's, it's great to have you. We're in a series today called Broken Vessels. And in this series, we're looking at how God loves to use ordinary people, and he loves to use broken people as significant ways to, to grow his kingdom. And I don't know about you, but that's been really encouraging to me because like you, I'm just an ordinary person. Like you, I'm a broken person, but that's the kind of people that God loves to use in significant ways for his kingdom. People just like you and me, just ordinary folks. I don't know if you have been uh, looking at the news, but recently the Pew Research Foundation uh, did some research to find out what young people think is important in this world. What are their goals and values in this world? What do you think were uh, some of the top values of, and goals of young people in this current generation? M- make a guess. Somebody say something. What, a good job? Money? Anybody else? Social status? Well, you guys are really good because that's exactly it. Their number one goal is to be rich. Their number two goal is to be famous. Now, it's normal to, you know, want to be rich and famous, but the sociologists say that it's at a whole different level with the current generation, that they crave fame and attention. And sociologists say it probably because they've grown up in an internet generation. From the day they've been born, they've had a camera in their face, and somebody's been posting about them on the internet, and they know that if you can get a lot of people to look at you on the internet, you can become rich and you can become famous. And sometimes we say, well, hasn't everybody always wanted to be rich and famous? Not like today. There was a very similar study done in 1978, and the goal of being rich for young people ranked eighth, is what they saw was most important in life. But today, 80% of young people in that Pew Research survey said it's their number one goal. 50% of young people said being famous is their top goal. Now, if you're somebody who's in their 30s or beyond, you chuckle at this because you know that being rich and being famous is not all it's cracked up to be. And maybe those things shouldn't be our top goals in life. And just to just reinforce that, today we're going to be turning to 2 Kings chapter 5 where we're going to be learning about a man who was rich, a man who was famous, a man who had all kinds of power, but it really didn't make much of a difference at the end of the day in his world. That man's name is Naaman. He was the general of the Syrian army. The year that we're going to be looking at is around 800 B.C. At that time, things were not going well for the Israelites, Uh, They had been turning away from God, and God had been disciplining them. But while God was disciplining his, his people, he had a unique way to reach a different group that was not his people. 
he was going to reach the Syrians, and he was going to use an ordinary, broken person to do it. So take your Bibles out. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 19 verses together. Then we're going to work our way back through it and study those verses. So stand out of honor of God's Word. I'd ask that you would either follow along with your eyes in your copy of God's Word, or at least listen uh, attentively as I read those first 19 verses. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now. And I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider to see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was very angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, just wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. 
So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Let's begin on the top of our outline. The first point is simply let's uh, meet Naaman. The first verse. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria and he was a mighty man of valor. So the chapter begins by introducing us to Naaman and in essence he was a big wig in the Syrian army. He was the five-star general. He was the chairman of the joint chief of staff. And the Bible calls him a great man in his master's eyes. His boss loved him. In fact, you can sort of read here, everybody loved him. He was extremely respected. It also says that by him, the Lord had given Syria victory. His military victories were not just because he was a smart man, but God is the one who had given them success in his adventures, which, by the way, is a reminder to all of us that any success we experience is not because of our great aptitude or our great intellect. Who is the one who ultimately gives any success to anyone? It's God, right? So Naaman doesn't realize it, but God has been incredibly good to him. It says something else about him, that he was a mighty man of valor. And I think this is pretty notable because he didn't just hold a high position. He didn't just have the respect of people, but he was battle-tested and proven to be faithful. He was willing to put his life on the line for his country and his king. I mean, this is the kind of person you actually want in charge. They're not in it for the money, they're not in it before the position. They actually want to serve their country. And we find that he has everything that young people want today, doesn't he? He has money. He has status. He has power. But he has a huge problem, which is making all of it sort of drop away. What is it? He has a disease. I picture it this way, that one day he got up in the morning and he was getting ready and sort of looking in the mirror and he probably noticed maybe a spot on his chest. And he's like, what, what's that thing there? He's probably scratched it a little bit, thought maybe it was just a rash. You know, grab some lotion, just put it on and hope it goes away. The next day it was still there. And the day after that it was getting bigger. And he, 
So he just tried to cover it up and ignore it. And like most busy men in his position, you know, he's like, I'm too busy to go to the doctor. But it got so bad that he forced himself to go to the doctor to figure out what this stuff was that was spreading probably on his chest. You can imagine when he came into the doctor. Oh, it's great General Naaman who has come into my practice. This is wonderful. I am so honored to have you visiting us. And then Naaman shows him this what looks like a nasty rash on his chest. And the doctor runs some tests and he eventually comes back and he looks at Naaman and he says, uh, General Naaman, uh, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure quite how to tell you this, but um, uh, you have leprosy. Hearing those words, uh, leprosy, it was like receiving a sentence of death. Leprosy was an incurable disease. It was a slow and painful death for those who contracted it. I picture Naaman going home from the doctor's office that day, walking out onto the balcony on his back porch. No doubt it was a high balcony in a big house that overlooked the city, the city of people that loved and admired him. And around him were his servants who would do his bidding, anything he asked. But he knew that in the next weeks, in the next years, all of that would slowly go away. As people would do everything to be away from him, not to be near him because of his leprosy. As he died a slow and painful death. Let me tell you a bit more about leprosy and what it is and how it works. Leprosy is still around today. Uh, today, we call it Hansen's disease. If Naaman had been a Jew, instantly after being diagnosed, he would have been taken out of society and he would have been separated from everyone else because the Jews it was an unclean disease. And in fact, he would have to cover his face from that point forward. And everywhere he went, he would have to call out, unclean, unclean, so people would go by on the opposite side of the road. Quite a contrast from what he enjoyed right now, wasn't it? It would be the exact opposite. Uh, Naaman was not a Jew. He was a Syrian. So apparently at this point, he was allowed to keep his job. The Syrians didn't treat leprosy the same way. A little bit more about the disease of leprosy. From what I've been able to read on it, and I know there's some doctors made up better information than me, but 90% of the people in the world today cannot contract leprosy, the bacteria that cause it. But 10% can, and for them, it is very contagious. And apparently, leprosy is not just contracted from humans to humans, but it can also be contracted from animals to humans. And there's one animal in particular I read about that is good at spreading leprosy, and that is an armadillo. So if you happen to be, this is public service announcement, you happen to be in that 10% who can contract leprosy, please do not get a pet armadillo, and you'll be in a much better state. The way leprosy works is it kills the nerve cells in the body, so you cannot feel pain. And some of you think, well, that would be pretty good. <laughs> I'd feel great every day. But lepers, what they do is they end up putting their hands in boiling water and not realizing they're scalding their flesh. Lepers end up taking a pot off the fire and not realize how hot the pot is and realize they're, they're burning their hands. Lepers end up with maybe infections 
in their body or on their skins from a scratch or on their toe, and they have no idea that infections are rotting away their flesh and their limbs. They cannot feel the pain. And in poorer countries, when you have lepers, as they sleep at night, you'll have mice or rats that'll start gnawing on their fingers, even chewing off their fingers, and lepers will sleep through the whole thing because they cannot feel it at all as they lose fingers and toes simply from animals chewing them away, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. I don't know how Naaman treated his leprosy, but my guess is as a soldier who is always wearing armor, he tried to keep that armor over his leprosy. He didn't want anyone really to know how incredibly sick he was and what was happening in his body. I think when most people looked at Naaman, they were envious of him. They coveted the kind of life he had. Wealth, power, money, fame. They said, if I could just have a life like Naaman, things would be good. But they didn't know the truth of Naaman's life. They didn't know the leprosy that he was hiding under his shirt. If they knew that, nobody would want Naaman's life. Which, by the way, gives us a little lesson that I put into your outlines here for you. Don't be jealous of someone else's life. Everyone has their share of problems, suffering, and pain. It doesn't matter how rich someone is. It doesn't matter how attractive someone is. It doesn't matter how good-looking someone is. We need to realize that everybody has their share of problems, suffering, and pain. We may not just be able to see it in their life, but no doubt it is is in their life. Let me just share candidly. As a pastor, I've had the privileges over 30 years of knowing a lot of people in a pastoral sense. And I can tell you that some people would think, oh, this people have a wonderful life. Look at all their riches and look at all their power. But as a pastor, knowing them, I know their pain. Everybody's going through times of suffering. Maybe a practical example is, is this. I've known some people that are rather poor, but God has given them many children. We would call them the ramen noodle families. You know, like their house is filled with kids. Their house is small. They're just trying to figure out a way to make sure they feed everybody. It's really easy for them to be jealous of somebody on the other side of town who has a big house. They say, if I could just have that job, if I could have that life, I would have that big house. That's what I want. But what they don't know, some families on the other side of town cry themselves to sleep because they cannot conceive a child. Where on the other side, the family is full of children. My simple point is, be careful about being jealous of other people's life. You don't know the suffering and pain they face. So Naaman was rich, powerful, and successful, but he was a leper who was in the process of dying a slow and painful death. Who would God use to reach such a powerful and successful man like him with the good news of God's love? You think maybe with somebody like Naaman, God should send another great general. 
You think with someone like Naaman, maybe it'll be like Moses and the burning bush where uh, God will speak to him through a burning bush. Or it'll be like Mary where God will send an angel his way to speak to him. That's not the way it goes. This is where it takes a turn that most of us would not expect. God chooses to use a very ordinary person, a very broken person, to reach what is the second most powerful man in the entire Syrian empire. Let's read about this. Let's meet an unnamed junior high girl. Now the Syrians in one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She and her mistress, you know, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Who is this girl? We know pretty much absolutely nothing about her. The Bible doesn't even give us her name. The Bible doesn't give us anything about her background. We just know that the Syrians were in the process of raiding the Israelites, and one of the things they would do is they would rip children out of the hands of their mother, mothers and fathers. And they would take those young children back to Syria where they would be sold as slaves. And this young girl was one of those. And as it turned out, she ended up working in the very house of Naaman, the king or the general of the Syrian army. This young junior high girl mopped the floor, she took out the trash, she cleaned the toilets. She did all of those grubby jobs that Mrs. Naaman had no interest in doing, and she would never, ever be paid for them, and she would never, ever be promoted for them. Now, if you were that girl, wouldn't it be easy at that point to say, God, where have you been? God, you've forgotten about me. God, you're not looking out for me. God, you have no purpose for me. You let me be tore out of my parents' own arms, and now I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. But what we see is God had not forgotten about her at all. In fact, God had a plan to use her in a way that she never even imagined. God's plan was to use the tragedy in her life to move her into Naaman's house. So she is going to be the light in his life who is going to introduce him to the true God of the universe. This is similar to what God did in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Remember how Joseph was slowed into slavery by his own brothers? But in Genesis 50 verse 20, it says, you know, God did this. He allowed this so that many lives would be saved. Joseph being slowed into slavery in Egypt was God's way of bringing Joseph to Egypt to rise him into second in command in Egypt to save many lives. And the same thing is going on here with this junior high girl who is an ordinary person, a nobody who's a slave. God is strategically placing her in a very important position to be a light for the gospel, for the light for the good news of what God's love in his life. So here's a point for you. God never forgets about his people. When we face unexpected tragedies and setbacks, God has a good plan 
to bring us to places we would have never gone to do work we never expected to do. Isn't that what's going on in her life? Now, as we think about her, what I'd like to do at this moment is I'd like to read between the lines a bit to learn more about her. Now, these things are not explicitly stated in the text, but I think they are implicitly stated in the text. Things about her character that enabled her to be used or useful for God, even though she was a slave. What put this girl in a position to be used by God? First thing I noticed and thought about was this. She didn't give in to bitterness. As a child, stolen from her home, taken to a faraway nation to work as a slave, it would have been easy to become a bitter person, easy to become a negative person, easy to become a, a griping and nasty and sarcastic person. But apparently that isn't the way she lived her life. Apparently, she was a very positive young girl. In fact, she was so positive and so hardworking that when she, in the business of doing her daily duties in that home, of doing the maid work, when she talked to Naaman and Mrs. Naaman about the true God of the universe, they respected her so much, they were willing to listen to her. Do you get that? She had such a good attitude that it opened their hearts to listening to the truth about God's love. Folks, attitude in difficult circumstances makes an incredibly big difference. A bad attitude can ruin an opportunity for us to share about Jesus. A good attitude can open an opportunity for us to share about Jesus. I don't know what position you are in life right now. Maybe you don't like your family. Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you don't like your neighborhood. Maybe you don't like your school. But just as God had this nameless junior high girl as a slave in Syria for a reason, he has you where you are right now for a reason too. And it's to be able to share about him with other people. And a bad attitude in that situation will ruin that opportunity to share about Jesus. Where a good attitude in those difficult circumstances opens that opportunity to share about Jesus. And I think that's notable about her. The second thing I noticed about her is this. She loved her enemies. As she worked in Naaman's house with Naaman's wife and Naaman's kids, I am sure that she watched the tears in that family. As everyone cried, as everyone stressed, as they saw Naaman get worse and worse, they knew that soon dad would be gone. You know, that would be a great opportunity for a little bit of a sort of Morbid revenge, ha, you're the king of the Syrian army, the army that stole me right out of my parents' arms. I love watching you suffer. You deserve any kind of agony and pain you get. We don't see any of that in her, do we? Instead of this morbid revenge on her enemies, 
She actually loved her enemies. She went out of her way to tell Naaman and Mrs. Naaman about where he could be healed and how the true God of the universe could heal him by visiting the prophet in Israel. Jesus says the same thing about how we're to conduct ourselves in Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Her desire to love her enemies and do good is what God is going to use to open Naaman's heart to be introduced to the true God of the universe. Third thing I noticed about this, she courageously spoke the truth in a place that really wasn't eager to hear it. You know, her positive attitude, that's what I call pre-evangelism. Didn't share anything, but she at least opened the door. Love of her enemies, that's pre-evangelism. Didn't share anything, but at least they've come to respect her. But then when she did have the opportunity to speak about the God of Israel and his healing power and about Elijah the prophet, then she spoke very clearly, and the pre-evangelism she did with her attitude and loving her enemies opened the door of their hearts. And remember, she's not in Israel. She's in Syria, in a foreign land where people are not really eager to listen to those things. And I thought to myself, doesn't that parallel our situation today? Aren't we in a culture that is growing more and more post-Christian, where people are not as excited about hearing about Jesus, not excited about hearing about their sin, not hearing about God's incredible love for us through Jesus and forgiveness of sins? We can just apply this right to our lives. Hey, we have to have a good attitude in our work. That's pre-evangelism. We have to love our enemies. That's pre-evangelism. But then when we have the opportunity, we need to speak clearly about God's incredible love for them and what Jesus has done for them and trust that God will open their hearts. So this young girl, this young unnamed girl, by the way, who will disappear into history, is really the key to everything else that happens in this chapter. She's the key to the healing in Naaman's life. That's how important she is. Now let's jump into the rest of the chapter, which is in search of a cure. We'll read verses 4 and 5. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Which I think this shows you how much respect Naaman had for this girl. Because when this young girl told him about Elijah and how God had healed people through Elijah, he went right to his boss, the king of Syria. No hesitation here. And of course, the king of Syria sends Naaman to the king of Israel and gives him a really good, what do you call it, travel bonus to go with him. It's roughly about a million dollars. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 kingly garments, which is a lot of money, hoping he can buy the cure. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, 
when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. The king at this time was King Joram, and King Joram freaks out. Cure leprosy? Impossible. It's incurable. This guy's trying to pick a quarrel. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. King Joram saw this request as a source of anxiety. Elijah saw this request as an opportunity. This is an opportunity, Elijah said, for Naaman and the Syrians to learn about the true God of the universe. Elijah realized that Naaman's leprosy and how he had been sent to Israel to find a cure was actually all part of God's work in Naaman's life to open his heart to find the good news of God. Folks, here's a little point that I wanted you to notice here. Every crisis is an opportunity for God to mature his people and to grow his church. It's true. Every crisis is an opportunity for God to mature his people and to grow his church. We all know about people just like Naaman, rich, successful, doing well in everything in life. They've got no time for God. They've got no thought about God. But what does God tend to do in those situations? Bring an obstacle in their life that is far more than they can handle in their own strength. And is God doing that because he hates them? Absolutely not. He's doing that because he loves them. To slow them down, to turn their hearts to him. The same is true, by the way, for us as Christians. Isn't it true that sometimes in the Christian life, we get so busy doing our own things and our own projects Seeking God in prayer, time in God's word gets less and less and less and less. And then what does God sometimes do? Bring a crisis into our life, and what do we end up doing? First thing we do is we get back on our knees. We open the Bible that we have left closed, and we start seeking him. See, every crisis is an opportunity for either God to mature his people, that's you and me, or to grow his church. That's bring people that are outside of his kingdom into his kingdom. And Elijah realizes that's what's going on in Naaman's life. God is at work opening his heart. Let me read in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. Oh, I, I love this scene. You have to picture the scene. You know Naaman has quite a motorcade going. He has soldiers. He's carrying a million bucks worth of money. He's got all the bling, all the ring. I'm sure he has like a totally decked out chariot, you know, comes up, door at Elijah's house. Ah, 
And I'm sure Elijah's house is this small house. It's this modest house, you know. And then what do we find happens next? Not what Naaman expected. But Elijah sent a messenger to him. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Elijah on the inside of the house doesn't even bother to get out of his lazy boy. He doesn't. He just sends his messenger, which is probably his servant Gehazi, to greet Naaman at the door. It went, probably went something like this. Hey, are you that Naaman guy? Yes. Well, Elijah says, go and jump up and down seven times in the Jordan River and you'll be clean. End of conversation. Nice talking to you, buddy. And off he goes. And you can picture Naaman like, what? Don't you understand who I am? I am the great Naaman, the general of the Syrian army who has come to your door and you're not even shaking my hand? Naaman was expecting, you know, to have Elijah fawn over him. But that's not what happened at all. Elijah treated him like he's no big deal, which is what goes to our next section. But Naaman was very angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out and stand, stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Like, are not Arbana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than the, all the waters of Israel? Could I not go and could I wash in them and be clean? So he turned away, turned and went away in a rage. Naaman wanted like, like the spectacular healing, you know, David Copperfield, smoke, lights, flashing thunders. Hey, that's because I'm Naaman. I'm the big guy around here. Look at this spectacular healing. And he didn't get any of that. Didn't even get the time of day. Just go take a bath seven times. That's it. And he says, like, even if you want me to take a bath, I'd rather do it back home than here. He is totally insulted. Now, I may be wrong about this, but I think God, when he designed this healing for Naaman, he intentionally wanted this healing to be what I call a humbling healing, not a pride-filled healing that built into Naaman's ego. The idea of Naaman going down to the filthy Jordan River, by the way, it's very filthy, he would have to strip off his armor, first take off his helmet, he would take off his chest plate. In front of his men, his men would finally see how bad, how debilitated, how disastrous this healing or this disease had been on his body. He didn't want to be humiliated in front of his men. That's why he's just about ready to go home and just give up on the whole thing until it says this, but his servants came near and said to him, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually just said to you, wash and be clean? Now, at this point, Naaman's servants said to him, guy, you just get over this. This is so easy. If Elijah had told you to do something incredibly hard, you know, go climb a mountain, you know, go do something great, you would have done it. But he's told you to do something incredibly easy, which is why you don't want to 
do it. Now, isn't this the way that many religions work? Sometimes I think the world's religions are like scouting. By the way, I'm not downing scouting. Don't, so, so, nobody talk to me after the service and say I diss scouting. That's not my point. But you know, scouting, it's like you have to get all these merit badges, you go through all these books, you do all these check boxes, then you get to the end, I'm the Eagle Scout. <laughs> Look what I did. I'm not downing scouting, but that's the way many of the world's religions are. All these hard things you have to do, supposedly you can earn it and save yourself. But Elijah tells Naaman, you don't have to do anything hard. We're not asking for any of your money. I don't want any of your money. Just go wash in the river. The simplest thing, and you will be clean. A simple thing, by the way, but for him an incredibly humbling thing. So his servants talked him into washing. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Can you picture this? He finally brings his entire motorcade down the hill to the Jordan River. He steps out of his exciting bling chariot there in front of his men. He takes off his helmet and exposes his head. He takes off his belt and his sword. He takes off his chest plate and his armor. And he takes off the, the armor that is on his legs and is on his feet until he is down to just his skibbies. I think that his men were gasping. They were shocked to see how bad the leprosy was under all of that armor. They didn't understand how bad their commander was suffering and how bad he was. And then I picture Naaman walking out into the Jordan River about waist high and going under once and going under twice and coming up and he's like, it's not working. None of it's washing off. And he's thinking to himself, is this all some kind of Jewish joke to make me look like a fool in front of my men after all we've done to them? He goes down a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a sixth time. Nothing's happened whatsoever. He looked at himself one last time. I picture him going under, closing his eyes. And while he was under, saying, God, please, 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 I believe in you. I trust in you. Will you heal me? And he came up. And he looked at his skin. And he was completely healed. And it says his skin was like that of a newborn baby. I mean, it wasn't just the leprosy was gone, but the age spots were gone. The warts were gone. The dry skin was gone. Every imperfection on his entire body was washed away. Now, incidentally, if you're wondering what it must have been like for Naaman to have the skin of a newborn baby, I can tell you that we could use help in the church nursery. Uh, we had 16 kids, by the way, in the church nursery recently on a second service. So you can go and help in the church nursery. You can look at the skin of a newborn baby, and you can think of Naaman. So that's your application for Sunday, all right? But in all, but in all seriousness, I picture... Him there, standing in the water, just in disbelief, looking at his body. I picture his men all of a sudden breaking out into cheers. Remember, they loved him. 
No one in Syria could heal him. But the God of Israel did. And all of a sudden, not just Naaman, but all the men who were with him came to the sudden realization of who the true God in the universe was and who was large and in charge of their lives. Now, the story gets better. We read this in verses 15 and 16. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You can see that what's happening, it's not just that Naaman's skin has been changed and been healed, but Naaman's heart has been healed as well. He's becoming what we would call an Old Testament version of a Christian. I know there is no other God in the universe but the God of Israel. Now, originally, Naaman was trying to buy the cure. He didn't get the opportunity to buy the cure, but now he's filled with gratitude. He wants to tip Elijah, you know, like a waiter. But Elijah's refusing the tip. Why did he refuse it? And I'll tell you why. He wants it to be abundantly clear that no one can buy God's grace. Naaman was healed not because of the money he possessed, but the grace of God that he found. And that grace of God is offered to anyone who would seek it. And then we read this. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said, go in peace. This is final confirmation that on that day, it is not just that Naaman's skin was healed, but Naaman's heart was changed. And I want to point out to you, there are great parallels here between the healing of Naaman's skin and heart from his leprosy and the healing of our hearts from our sin. Did you notice that? Naaman had to sort of show his leprosy, call it confess his leprosy for all of his men to see. But the Bible says that's part of what means for us to be healed of the leprosy of our sin in our hearts. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just who will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Naaman also had to obey God's word. Simple word, but hard for him. Just go wash in the Jordan River. For us to be cleansed of our sin, it's a very simple word, but we have to obey it. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who has died on the cross in your place for your sin and we will be saved. Naaman had to call out to God for rescue. We have to call out to God for rescue from our sin. Naaman couldn't purchase his healing with money. He had to seek it by God's grace. We cannot purchase our forgiveness of our sin by money. We can only seek it by God's grace. 
Naaman, his healing was hard because it meant him swallowing his pride and receiving it in the easiest way. Isn't that the same thing when it comes to forgiveness of our sins, the healing of the leprosy in our hearts? We have to swallow our pride. We don't do hard things to receive it. We do an easy thing. We simply trust in Jesus. And then here's this other thing I think is so amazing. Naaman's skin didn't just have his leprosy taken away. But remember, his skin was made into a completely new creation, perfect and pure like a newborn baby's. Folks, please hear this, that when you turn and trust in Jesus Christ, ask him to take away the leprosy of the sin in your heart. He doesn't just take away the sin in your heart, but he makes your heart into a completely new creation just like a newborn baby's skin. The Bible says this, let us come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. No matter what you have done this morning, no matter how disfiguring the leprosy of sin has done to your heart, please understand that when you turn to Jesus today, he will make you a completely new creation like a newborn baby's skin was to Naaman's life. So this morning there are really two conclusions I want you to take away. Number one is this. Just as Naaman's leprosy was taken away and his body was restored after calling out in desperation to God, in the same way, the disfigurement of our sin can be taken away and our hearts made new when we obey God's word and call out to Jesus to save us. But the other thing is this. It's that God loves to use ordinary and broken people in significant ways for his kingdom. Folks, the real story in the story isn't Naaman and his healing. The real story in the story is an unnamed junior high girl who was stolen away from her parents, who God placed in Naaman's life, who with a good attitude, loved her enemies, and spoke the truth. And God used her to bring the, God, the good news of God's love, not just to Naaman, but to all of Syria. Think about that. Sure, there were times at first when she thought God had forgotten about her. But the truth is, God hadn't forgotten about her. God was in the business of using her tragedy to spread the good news of his love to all different parts of the world. And if God can use her, God can use you, and God can use me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you delight in using ordinary, broken, unnamed people in this world, like the junior high girl in this story. We ask that you would use us in any way you see fit to spread the good news of what Jesus has done to different parts of the world you may take us. Uh, thank you for your desire to use people ordinary people just like us.
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.